This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. Long-term care residents and their family members got some good news for a change. This past Monday, COVID restrictions were loosened a bit, allowing for an increase in the number of designated caregivers from two to four, but with just two visitors allowed per resident at one time. Further easing of restrictions is scheduled to begin on February 21st. Visitors five years of age and older and who've been fully vaccinated will be allowed to visit residents in long-term care homes. Then starting March 14th, people under five years of age will be able to be included in visits. And the number of guests a resident may have at one time will be capped at four people, including caregivers. Libby was joined to discuss this good news development in long-term care with our Monday Zoomer squad. Peter Mugridge, senior editor of Zoomer magazine, David Kravit, chief membership officer at CARP and vice president at Zoomer Media, and Bill Van Gorder, chief operating officer and chief policy officer of CARP. Having had our loved ones locked away, kept from family and friends, has uh, has been a huge mental health issue. And this certainly uh, will start to alleviate that. There is one caution, however, and that is remember at the beginning of uh, COVID, the final implementation of these rules is up to individual homes. And the lack of consistency in the way they were uh, enforced caused real confusion in the early days of COVID. We hope that's not going to happen again with these new lifting of restrictions. David, what do you say? I think that it's they're trying to uh, create good news wherever they can. I think it's very welcome. I agree with Bill. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I think it's long since been uncoupled from any actual hard science. It seems kind of arbitrary. I mean, particularly this under five year olds, over five year olds. I mean, what 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 is the magic of that day? Does something suddenly happen scientifically to prove that it's safe? for, you know, babies and toddlers to visit their grandparents on some magic date in March that is not true today. So I think they're just trying to manage their way toward uh, the promised land here by steady drops of better news. But I don't think there's any uh, pretense anymore that this is uh, at all based on science. Peter. Yeah, good news, Libby. You know, um First, the nursing homes, then maybe fans can go watch the Leafs play. And I, I think it's, it's all sort of, this is the first step to reopening all the way. And once the nursing homes are open, then, and the, uh, you know, their grandkids can go see their grandparents, then, uh, you know, good news, it's on the way for the rest of the lockdown. I mean, half of the homes are an outbreak, Bill. I mean, the situation isn't, you know, you're not seeing as much death as we have before, but people are still getting very sick. 
Well, they are, and that's one of the reasons, of course, that uh, individual homes still have the right to interpret these decisions to fit the, their situation. If that's done, uh, as David said, based on on science, but also keeping in mind that uh, older Canadians and their families have the right to make uh, decisions themselves about how they're going to protect themselves. In the long run, you know, that's what's going to happen with uh, all of us. Uh, hopefully in, in the next uh, six to eight months, uh, as with other diseases, it's going to be up to individuals to have the, the right to make decisions uh, for themselves and not be dictated by uh, government. So this is a, this is a, a slow uh, step, but doesn't it really puts more responsibility on families to make sure that uh, visitors uh, are not carrying the disease, that they're not going into homes that are in uh, bad outbreaks. Now, remember, when they talk about outbreak, you could have one one case in a in a long term care home, and that's called an outbreak. So even even from outbreak to outbreak, there are decisions to be uh, made, and whether or not the government can continue to try to make rules that fit everybody all the time, I think is really in doubt. How many staff do I need? How bad is the decline? How many people are calling in sick? And and we haven't really confronted head on, what's the difference between Omicron in a nursing home and Delta or the, the first variant in a nursing home? And so we're mixing and matching all these categories and all these metrics and as a result, you have a very unclear picture. And I think that also explains a lot of frustration and, and uh, the eroding credibility of the uh, healthcare authorities in the eyes of the public because it is so, uh, it just doesn't seem to be anchored to anything sure anymore. David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media. Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. And Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Also on Monday, we marveled at how the anti-vaccine mandate demonstration in Toronto took place, mostly without incident, and on a single day last Saturday. Toronto police had closed off Hospital Row along University Avenue and surrounding streets to ensure protesters did not impede access to hospitals, which ended up being a successful approach. Meantime, in Ottawa, it had already been 10 days for the demonstration and occupation while the Canadian capital was placed under a state of emergency. To discuss the contrast in the tale of two cities, Libby was joined for a conversation on Monday by Dr. Stephanie Carvin, Assistant Professor of International Affairs at Carleton University in Ottawa and an expert on national security issues, along with Councillor Kristen Wong-Tam for Ward 13 Toronto Centre and Dr. Kevin Smith, CEO of the University Health Network. You know what, our staff, uh, really gave us great feedback about getting to work. Our patients, who are very anxious, as you can imagine, particularly our Princess Margaret site or our merge sites, um, who are very nervous about coming in, really, the police really helped them get to the environment, and it was very, very well done. 
And I also want to thank the protesters who uh, did respect the police presence and moving uh, moving along quickly um, so that the p- patients were not interrupted any more than they had to be. It really went as well as it could have. I'm glad to hear that. Councillor Wong Tem, uh, I'm sure that when you look at your colleagues in Ottawa, you're probably pretty happy with the way it went here in your ward in downtown. Uh, yes, I am. I'm very pleased to see the outcome from this weekend's uh, organization. Uh, both the Toronto Police and the City of Toronto, I agree with Dr. Smith, uh, deserve our thanks. They have been very proactive in communicating a response plan, knowing that the protesters were coming uh, to the city. We had the advantage of seeing what was unfolding in Ottawa, and we were not going to take any chances. So the response was going to always be multifaceted. Uh, and we were going to create that sort of inner no-go zone uh, within the core of the city, which meant that, of course, pedestrians and protesters on foot could come come through. Uh, private passenger vehicles to some limitation could come in, but not the oversized vehicles that we saw in Ottawa. Okay, let's bring in Dr. Stephanie Carvin. You are an expert in national security. There are people who say this whole thing is threatening national security in Ottawa. I think there's elements that uh, certainly ring to national security when you have, you know, a group of people who have, you know, basically uh, the the organizers of this convoy, not everyone in the convoy, but the organizers themselves who have said some fairly Islamophobic, anti-Semitic and conspiratorial uh, views. Uh, There's definitely a national security element there. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we should be using national security elements to solve this problem. I'm tremendously disturbed by uh, the leadership of the city of Ottawa, who's basically been trying to kick all of its problems up to the federal government rather than trying to use policing solutions. I mean, I'm not going to pretend it's easy or fun, but, you know, there is a role for national security here. But certainly I'm not convinced it's rolling the tanks into the city capital. Ottawa residents feel completely abandoned and under siege, especially with that incessant honking. Yeah, it really is a bleak situation. Um, There's incessant noise, you know, and and then, of course, just the mental stress of all of this. So, um, yeah, and it it just doesn't help when you have a, you know, a police force that said that they're not sure that there is a policing solution. And even when, you know, I I was just uh, looking at, at Twitter when he was just doing his press conference just a few minutes ago, um, you know, it totally says that they're cutting the, these uh, protesters off from fuel, but there's like like lots of reporters are showing video of, of fuel being taken to these trucks to refuel them um, right as he was speaking. It's just not clear that anything is, is still being enforced, even if there is uh, more action being taken. Dr. Kevin Smith, what would you like to leave us with? Yeah, I would first like to say thank you to uh, all who were who were participants in uh, making sure the weekend in Toronto allowed people to peacefully and respectfully protest and then move out of the way so that patients weren't negatively affected. Particularly, I didn't acknowledge Councillor Wong Kim herself, uh, Mayor Tory, the chief, but the chief of police, and uh, all of the PPS services who made a huge, huge difference here. And we see what would have happened if we hadn't had uh, leadership at all levels of government. Uh, Councillor Wong Tam? I would think that it's time for Ottawa to treat the lead organizers as terrorists and to seize their personal accounts. I know it's a dramatic uh, call, but uh, in the absence of any other solution, it, it will get their attention. Libby's conversation on Monday with Toronto Councillor Kristen Wong Tam, Dr. Kevin Smith, CEO of the University Health Network. 
and Dr. Stephanie Carvin, Assistant Professor of International Affairs at Carleton University in Ottawa. That conversation took place on Monday, four days before Premier Doug Ford declared a state of emergency for Ontario in order to use emergency powers to crack down on those who continue to occupy downtown Ottawa and block the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, frustrations mount within the federal Liberal caucus over COVID-related restrictions. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. On Tuesday, a Quebec Liberal MP criticized his government's approach to managing COVID-19. Joel Lightbound told a news conference he also has no desire to leave the Liberal caucus, even though he had resigned as Quebec caucus chair. Lightbound explained that federal measures need to be reevaluated and Canadians need a clear roadmap for when COVID-related restrictions will be fully lifted. Otherwise, he said he's concerned the government's current policies risk undermining public trust. Before Prime Minister Justin Trudeau defended those policies during question period, Libby was joined by the Tuesday strategy panel to discuss Joel Lightbound's stance. Karen Stintz is CEO of Variety Village. John Capobianco is Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road. And Charles Souza is former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister. He was articulate. He was calm. He was direct. And he, obviously, it's controversial. I'm sure within the party, it's creating a lot of angst right now. But he is speaking, I think, in a way that most Canadians feel to the extent that, hey, we're doing our part, we're vaccinated, we're there, we get it, but let's be sensitive to those that are not and just treat it more um, respectful. And I guess the point that I see him making, and, and I think a lot of us are asking Trudeau to be the same way, it's like, don't be so defensive. Like, you have the right to stand up for democracy because you're duly elected. You're asking the protesters to protest peacefully, but... When it comes to occupation or overthrowing the government, what's a non-starter? So that's it. You don't have to get into anything more. And, of course, there's factions that are within this protest or with this convoy that are, hmm, I don't know, unsavory. I don't know where the money's coming from. I think Mark Carney says, follow the money. Find out who's actually inciting some of this initiative. But Trudeau has a principal stance that he can take without being insulting to others and mm-hmm. without being condescending, which is kind of how I think light... Lightbound, I believe his name is, is trying to express it. Uh, John, what do you think? Well, you know, uh, this is not insignificant. Maybe. The reason why I find this to be profound is that he has been saying things that conservatives have been saying for some time about Justin Trudeau politicizing this during the election campaign and since then, and, and how, you know, this protest, as much as, uh, as, much as it, is, it is turned into something very ugly, but there are some elements in there that, that we, should be, we, should, we should be attentive to. Things that people like Candace Bergen has said, and of course was vilified by the media and by others, because, oh my God, she's saying something that Donald Trump said you know, five years ago. You know, he's saying it in a way that is reasonable, 
But yet, as a liberal MP, he seems to be getting a lot more attention. And people are starting to say, even the media, and I saw his press conference, which was very impressive. Even the media was saying, well, listen, this was a reasonable, uh, you know, articulate way of, of saying it because, of course, he's a liberal MP and he's, he's going against his, his liberal brand. So, look, let's not, let's not underestimate the power of this message and whether or not. And the other thing that he said that I thought was really profound, too, Libby, was that he said there were others within his caucus who agree with them, but weren't ready yet to make their voices known. So there's a bit of a fissure that is happening there. And this one, this one MP, uh, Joel Lightbound, has actually, you know, sort of shone a light there, but has at least created now a debate and a discussion about what the Liberals should be doing with respect to a plan to get us out of this mess. And, and quite frankly, as you said earlier in your comments, you know, the Prime Minister finally showed up because he had to get pressured by all the opposition parties to say, where have you been? Where are you? And he finally showed up only to say, you know, go home truckers and as if that's and it's just they're going to listen to that kind of rhetoric okay karen yeah i, I mean I, I what i think is actually quite tactical and um i if if it actually is strategic then i i applaud the liberals for it because the reality is justin trudeau is so entrenched in his position um you know it would take a forklift to move him off it that being said I think the rest of the country, as we talked about last week, is moved to a different place in terms of our understanding of Omicron, our understanding of transmission, our understanding of the limitations of vaccine. And it's a different message now. And so the problem for the liberals is that Justin Trudeau is extremely committed to his position. And then on the other side, you have the truckers, which are seen as protesters. And even if there's some legitimacy into what they're saying, nobody can be seen to be swayed by the protesters. So now here comes this middle-of-the-road liberal seen as a rising star from Quebec, speaking in a way that resonates with a number of people. I think it allows the liberals and Justin Trudeau in particular to figure out a way to move to a place where I think the country wants to go without having it seem as if he's capitulated to the protesters. Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, and Charles Souza, former Liberal Ontario Finance Minister. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. This past week, decision makers in Australia announced the country's borders would reopen to tourists starting later this month. Australia, by the way, has had one of the toughest COVID lockdowns in the world. Borders are also being reopened in other countries. But here in Canada, the non-essential travel advisory is still in place, along with very stringent testing requirements. Martin Firestone is president of Travel Secure, Inc. He spoke with Libby about the current travel lockdown in Canada. We are losing tremendous tourism dollars both in people traveling outside of the country and people coming inside to the country. And that is starting to be incredibly problematic with March break and summer 2022 on the horizon. I was on an American website looking at what they have. So they have us down as still level four do not travel. And most of the countries that you would want to go to at this time of year were the same. Level four, do not travel. Uh, I think Ecuador was a level three reconsider. So, uh, you know, the Americans are doing the same thing. Yeah, although we, we shouldn't confuse the level four from the World Health Organization, or I should say the CDC, 
is it different than the Canadian level three to avoid all non-essential travel or our level four? It, it seems a little stronger from the Canadian side when we hear that. They're just suggesting that the case counts in Canada are X. It's based on a formula. It's really nothing more than an advice model, and that's what they're suggesting. But it's by no means a mandate, and people are not necessarily following it. Who's kidding who? So, again, how are we losing money? I wouldn't think Canada is a big destination in March. A lot of people want to leave in March. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, travel became very difficult in the last couple of years. It wasn't just remember your passport. Who's kidding? Now it's the antigen test upon leaving. It's the PCR test 72 hours in advance before coming back. It's the random test potentially or the mandatory test if you're coming internationally. Arrive, can dock. Nothing is simple anymore, and that is causing people to be incredibly hesitant to travel. You know, uh, speaking of that random test, I have to say that everybody I know that has gone away is selected for a random test. I think it's 80% of passengers are selected for a random test after their uh, negative PCR test to come home. Yeah, which seems like a very redundant step in light of all that's going on right now. And that's the one that really has to get out of the way first. Then the question is the antigen test heading out and the 72-hour negative test coming back. These things, forgetting the cost, which range anywhere from free, as many people will tell you, up to 300 if you want it back in two hours, is really causing concern, especially with families. I mean, that could be five tests at that amount if, in fact, they had to do it. Well, and at this point, you have to find the test. You do. There are some cities and areas a little more remote where that test isn't so quick to find. Then there are others like Florida or Fort Lauderdale or Boca Raton where they're en masse at either a local drugstore or a clinic that's set up or a pop-up tent. So it's all about where you're going. And even then, you still run the risk of not getting results back in time. And then you're sitting at the airport with no test. And guess what? You're not getting on any plane. It seems to me that all this stuff is sort of constantly being... Uh, rethought. I mean, are you expecting it to change anytime soon? There have been a lot of people calling for it. Yeah. So I thought myself it could be in the next couple of weeks or he would slowly remove layers. But now with this protest and all that's going on right now, I think if you look at it optically, it doesn't want to look like he's removing these things now because uh, our prime minister is being put under pressure to do that, if you know what I'm saying. So it's kind of actually hurt the cause in a roundabout way because maybe he won't do it as quick as he thought he was because he doesn't want to bow to pressure because of this. And that's a thought that I was thinking could be a real problem where it may take still more than they expected before they start removing any of these layers. Okay. Anything else you want to leave us with? <laughs> Let's just hope that maybe in a month we talk again and the whole world is picked up again, restrictions removed and people are traveling and we're all smiling again. That's all I can say. Marty Firestone, president of Travel Secure, Inc. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. 
Jordan in Fort Erie phoned about getting a COVID test before coming back to Canada from the U.S. I recently just came back in from the States. I have a girlfriend who lives over in Buffalo. And getting that 72-hour test has been really, really difficult. Uh, You know, you're looking at CVS or Walgreens or all those kinds of different places to try to get that test so that you can come back into the country. And if you're working on the next day, it's a little bit difficult to get that. So my question is, why don't they bring back that 72-hour, hey, you can go over into the States and come back without the test? Murray in Malton phoned with his impression of the demonstrators in Ottawa. The biggest problem I see is that you have a lot of anti-maskers uh, supporting the truckers out there, and the truckers are encouraged by how many people are out there, so they're more than willing to stay. Uh, the anti-maskers have been a problem since day one. Uh, Doug Ford will tell you his place was uh, surrounded by them a couple times. But uh, you got to get rid of those people first. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is Ron in Guelph, who phoned about the Ottawa protest and who is controlling it and advocating for it. What's scary is what started off as an idea, Trucker Convoy. When I heard Tucker Carlson and Glenn Beck from Fox News interview, I said, uh-oh, this is swinging the other direction. And it's taken on a whole new life of its own. The far right are now becoming uh, a presence. Um, we saw that with uh, Maxime Bernier and some of his supporters are obviously the far right. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm fearful for where our country is heading. Um, in the direction it's going right now. With, um, I mean, this is getting crazy out there now. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416 416- Three six seven nine six three six. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.